I should tell you ahead of time, I'm hoping to record this message live today, and I hope you join me in prayer that my phone doesn't ring during the church service. But let's pray. Lord, let the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts be found acceptable in your sight, O Lord, for you are our rock and our redeemer. There is this story that we have that's in Matthew chapter 17 about Jesus, the transfiguration. It also appears in the Gospels of Mark and Luke. So clearly, if the story is told three different times, it is quite important. Now, here again is what happens. Jesus had just told his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem to die. And actually, there are three of these passion narratives, three different times that Jesus in the text or in the Gospels talks about how he needs to go and die. Now, he's fully aware of the fate that awaited him. He knew that he would <clears throat> die a horrific death, a humiliating death, and a painful death. We need to remember, though, that even though Jesus was God in the flesh, he was also fully human. He faced temptation just like we do. He felt hunger just like we do. The stripes that he received on his back from the Romans' whip and the nails driven into his hands and into his feet hurt him just as much as they would have hurt us. Jesus did not look forward to the cross, but he knew that in order to do God's will, he was going to endure it. He also knew the adversity that he was about to face would be difficult for the disciples who had traveled with him now for three years. So after telling them that he was going to go to Jerusalem to die, he takes that inner crew, his three good friends, Peter, James, and John, on a high mountain by themselves. And there, as we have already read, he was transfigured before them. Now, when I read this particular story, I often ask myself, for whose benefit did the transfiguration occur? Was it solely for Jesus? Or was it for Peter, James, and John? Or could this story possibly be for us? Well, the answer, as you see, is all of the above. Jesus needed this transfiguration experience as he prepared for this difficult road that he was about to face. Peter, James, and John needed it, too, because they needed a glimpse of who Jesus really was. And today we need the same truths from this story to live as faithful disciples, even as we face adversity. Now, I think we all know for certain that we're going to face adversity at some time or another. No matter how good things might be in your life right now or in your business, there will be times ahead when you're going to have to face certain challenges. No matter how good your marriage might be at this moment, there will be times in the future when you may experience what I would call off-road experiences. There are always rough patches to endure. And no matter how good things may be going for you spiritually right now, no matter how close to God you feel right now, there will be times in your future when his presence isn't quite so intuitive. There will be times when you struggle with sin and when you will struggle with obedience and you will just struggle with kind of hanging in there on a regular basis. There will be times ahead when whatever you're doing that is right is going to seem like so wrong and sometimes when you're doing so much right, it's going to hurt. It's just a fact of life. We will all face times of adversity. 
Some of you, probably today, can even see it coming on the horizon, like an afternoon ice storm. For others, the threat doesn't seem quite so clear. But either way, I would say we need to know how to hunker down and prepare. Now, just like those of you in the military had to go to boot camp to prepare for combat, and just as athletes that I was associated with for many years go through training to prepare for the season's competition, we need to learn some things, too, before the going gets too tough. We need God's perspective, and we need to get God's instruction for our lives. And this little story of the transfiguration shows us how we can prepare. And they are very simple principles I want to share with you this morning. In fact, I'm almost embarrassed how simple what I'm going to tell you really is. And yet, they are more powerful than you can possibly imagine. So here they are. There are three of them. The first of these is get alone with God. That's pretty simple, isn't it? Get alone with God. Now, Jesus went up on this high mountain, this Mount of Transfiguration, just himself and three close friends. They spent some time in the presence of God, and in Luke's gospel, it said he went up on that mountain to pray. That was his purpose, to go up there and pray. Now, I don't know how you are, but here's one of my shortcomings in life, and that is that when I am facing adversity, my inclination is often to pray less. That's my natural inclination, to pray less, not more. Needless to say, that initial inclination is wrong. Now, I've learned in my time in life to remind myself that when adversity rears its ugly little head, that my first reaction ought to be to get alone with God and talk to Him about it and listen to what He has to say. I've learned to pray over the years that this is a tough decision. I don't want to have to make this. Give me strength to do the right thing. Uh, I'm struggling with uh, my ability to obey, uh, give me strength to do the right thing, or I'm tempted to take the easy way out, give me strength to do the right thing. So the very first defense in whatever adversity you may be facing or will face is to get away from the grind of daily life and get alone with God. Now, some of you may say, how can I possibly get alone? You don't have any idea what I'm up to. Well, John Wesley's mother had 18 children. She had her quiet time every day. She would pull a stool into the middle of the kitchen, sit on it, and pull her apron up over her head, and the kids knew that was Mama's quiet time, and they left her alone. If John Wesley's mama can do that, with 18 kids, I can guarantee the majority of you can do that as well. Maybe you need to get away for a few hours. Maybe you need to get away for a day, maybe a week, maybe an you know, whatever. You just need to get away. And you say, well, how long? Well, I would tell you this. Stay there as long as it takes to do exactly, to see what the disciples saw. And that is a glimpse of the glory of God. Now, what does a glimpse, how do you see this glimpse of the glory of God? Well, there's a, there's a number of, of different ways. And verse 2 says, They went up in the mountain, and there he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. Now, they got a glimpse of who Jesus 
really is. They saw that he was a whole lot more than just some rabbi. He was so much more than a teacher. He was much more than a healer. He possessed the radiance of the Almighty God. And the two key prophets were staying there with him, and they were having a conversation. Moses and Elijah, from far off eternity, gathering there. Could you imagine what it would be like to see that? Well, the disciples got a glimpse of the glory of Jesus. And in the coming days, they really needed to hang on to that glimpse as they saw him get arrested and beaten and stripped and mocked and nailed to a cross. They needed to cling to that glimpse of Jesus as they struggled with their own fear and with their own failures. Now, I also believe that the transfiguration was done for Jesus' sake. I've said that before. There was a sense in which he needed to experience this glory of God one more time to strengthen him, if you will, kind of fill him up to prepare him for that lonely road that he was about to take all the way to the cross. That lonely road that we go through during the season of Lent. He needed to get alone in God's presence and there get a glimpse of God's glory. Now, this morning, as we face adversity, I, I just want to remind all of us to take time out of your schedule. Get alone with God and get a glimpse of his glory. Now, how do you do that? That's always a good question. How do you do that? Well, I'm going to suggest three ways, three different things that I, I've tried in my life, and I know they work. One of them is just to meditate on his presence. Now, that's another way of saying, just remember, he's with you. You know, people who say they found God, I've always wondered, where, where did God go? Was God lost? Yeah, remember, no matter what storms come your way, God doesn't bail out. I think of a couple of Bible passages, for example. Many of them you may even know from memory. I mean, Hebrews 13, 5. Never will I leave you or forsake you. You can take that promise to the bank. You all know Matthew 28, 20. Surely I'm with you always. What, until things get tough? No, until the very end of the age. As you get along with God, just remember that he's promised that you will never, ever, ever, never, ever, never, never, ever ever face, have to face anything on your own. He's there with you. You just need to meditate. Plant that in your head. Meditate on his presence. Here's the second thing. Meditate on his power. Psalm 89, 13. Your arm is endued with power. Your hand is strong. Your right hand exalted. Now, when you're feeling weak and helpless, remember that God is not weak and helpless. I remember a sermon I preached a number of years ago. I don't remember much about the sermon, but I remember the title, Helpless and Hopeless, Just Where God Wants Us. Because sometimes when we are flat on our back, helpless and hopeless, that's when we do what? We begin to meditate on His presence and remember that He's there and we remember that He has the power that we do not have. When I went to a Lutheran grade school in Nebraska, I remember learning these Omni words about how God is omnipresent and that God is omniscient. He's all knowing. But I also remember that God is omnipotent, omnipotent. And my fifth and sixth grade teacher, Mr. Schmidt, said, well, that's omni, all potent, like a strong cup of coffee. God is stronger than the strongest cup of coffee. That's what he said. Well, he's way, way stronger than the strongest thing Starbucks will sell you. 
So you need to meditate on his presence, but meditate on his power. And then meditate on his purpose in your life. See, the adversity that you face is not meaningless. I mean, nothing happens in your life that doesn't somehow fit into the purpose that God has for you. I mean, Jesus didn't face that cross simply because things didn't work out. I mean, there was a reason for his suffering. And there's a reason for yours. I mean, I'm looking at somebody I saw a couple times in the hospital. Guess what? There was a reason for that. You may not figure that out quite yet, but maybe it was to get you alone with him to meditate on his presence, to meditate on his power, and maybe wonder, what's this all about? But see, God's doing a work in your life, and the storms you face are a necessary chapter. A couple of years ago, when I had gallbladder surgery, where they accidentally cut my descending aorta, and they said it was kind of up for grabs for a while, and as luck would have it, a, a vascular surgeon was walking through the room, and, and I didn't die. I remember laying there afterwards wondering, what the heck is this all about? And then I, I, was lay, I was laying there one day, and I suddenly remember the story of Hezekiah, who was going to die, and he prayed that God would give him a few extra years, and God did. And I didn't necessarily pray for extra years, but I thought, man, God must want me alive for some reason. And I'm just going to try to, the best as I can. I guess the reason was for me to show up in mineral wealth. I, that's, just, that's my best guess for right now. I mean, Peter actually said in his first little book, he said, now, now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Now, I like the Greek word for all kinds of trials because it literally is many colored trial, trials. It's kind of like, remember Joseph's coat of many colors? I mean, your, your problems come in a wide array of colors. Now, he goes on, he says, they have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold may be proved genuine. Now, how is gold proved genuine? You put fire on it. And what happens when it's found to be pure gold, it says, so that it might result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So that later you can say, hey, praise God. When my surgeon said, as luck would have it, a vascular surgeon was walking through, I said, it has nothing to do with luck. It all had to do with God. And see, there's an opportunity even to witness in that. So in the onset of a storm in your life, get along with God, get a glimpse of his glory, meditate on his presence, meditate on his power, meditate on his purpose in your life. Very simply, get alone with God. Well, here's the second real... (laughs) This is really pretty simple too, isn't it? Listen to God. Although I'm surprised how many people say, well, you always talk about that, but I never hear God. You know, I always feel like being really blunt and say, do you ever shut up long enough to see? And that's pretty blunt, and I hate to put it that way, because I've said that a few times, and people say, I wish you didn't say that, because we tell our kids all the time never to say shut up. Okay, sorry, moving on. Be quiet, in other words. Have you ever been quiet long enough to actually hear what's going on? You open up your heart to him. You pour out, out in front of him. You tell him all of your woes. You, but then you need to get to the point where you stop talking. And you need to start listening. Now, we are all not very good listeners. I'll admit to that. Many of us think listening is what you do until it's your turn to talk again. Now, listening is a whole lot more than that. 
But you need to listen to God. Why? Because you want to know what is God's perspective on this particular issue that you have just whined and complained about to him for the last 15 minutes. Now, when Peter got a glimpse of God's glory, he said in verse 4, Lord, whoa, it's good to be here. If you wish, I'll put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Now, I like the comment. It's not in our text, but if you read the same story in Matthew, it says he did not know what he was saying. Now, put that into a better language. He didn't know what he was talking about. Now, Peter, as was his custom, uh, got a bit ahead of God. He was probably thinking, oh, wow, worshiping Jesus on the mountain with Moses and Elijah. How cool is this? And guess what? This is a whole lot more fun than having to go back down to Jerusalem to do what Jesus just talked about, to watch him die. Let's stay up here forever. And you know something? He had, he had a point. He had a point. How many of you have ever been on a retreat somewhere? Been on a retreat? One of those kind of retreats that you just wish had never ended? You know, you just wish it could last forever. I mean, you go places and the phone's not ringing. Uh, there are no interruptions. I mean, people aren't bickering with one another. Uh, it's about as close to heaven on earth as you can get. But guess what? It cannot last. Why? Because we're not called to a state of perpetual, I'm going to make up a word here, retreatedness. I, I don't know if there is such a word, but we're not called to be in this perpetual retreatedness. We're called to live in the day-in, day-out grind of the real world. I mean, Peter's idea may have sounded really good to him, but he did not have God's perspective. And so God gets his attention, if you will, in verses 5 and 6. It says, while he, that's Peter, was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Now, I'm going to step aside from the message a little bit and say, do you remember when that was ever said of him before? It was at his baptism, remember? This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. That combines two Old Testament psalms, a coronation psalm, and a servant psalm. It was a way of telling people, guess what? When the Messiah comes, he is going to be king... But he's also going to be a servant. Meanwhile, back to the sermon. What does he say? He says, listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. Now, why terrified? Well, I can come up with two good reasons myself. First of all, hearing the voice of God audibly would probably scare the pajamas out of most people. And second of all, I believe that the words that God spoke to them on that mountain helped them to finally realize what Jesus had been saying was true. That he was going to go to Jerusalem. That he was going to meet death. And as that realization kind of sunk in, they were overcome with fear. Now, right after God told Peter, James, and John to listen to Jesus, what was the very next thing that Jesus said to them? It was in verse 7 of our text. He said, but Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. Now, if you didn't get that, I put it on the screen. Get up. Don't be afraid. 
Now, when we face adversity, we have a tendency to what? Bail out. Vince Lombardi said, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. I've been around a lot of people that when the going gets tough, they bail out. We have a tendency to hide. We have a tendency to become kind of overwhelmed with fear. I mean, Jesus tells his disciples, he tells us, get up. Don't be afraid. Have courage. What I'm about to face may be tough, but guess what? You're not all alone. I'm with you. Now, many times before we face a storm, we cry out, God, get me out of this. I don't want to face this. But God's response, at least a lot of time in my life, is this. I'm not going to get you out of it, but I'll get you through it. My grandson often posts this on his Facebook page. If God brings you to it, he'll take you through it. I like that. It's another way of saying, get up. Don't be afraid. See, when you take time to listen to God, you have a chance to filter out all of those flimsy little excuses that you might want to make and and, and to get rid of all of those little escape plans that you have uh, that you might want to take and you have a chance to listen to that gentle voice of encouragement, that still, small voice from God. I can't begin to tell you the number of times in my life I, when I've stopped long enough to listen, when I was fretting over something, that I could hear God kind of whispering, just get up. Don't be afraid. You can do this. I'll be with you every step of the way. Well, here's the third step. And that is to wait on God. Now, when we hear God say, get up, get at it, I'll be with you, we kind of expect him to be with us right away and take care of it right then, right? Or yesterday. Well, as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, don't tell anyone what you've seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Now, here's a good trivia question. We've heard Jesus say this before. Don't tell anybody what's happened here. And this is the last time Jesus will ever say this in the Gospels. But this time he tells us something different. Every other time he says, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. But on the last time he uses this phrase in the Gospels, he adds an extra little part to this. He says, don't tell anybody until after the resurrection. Now, I think all he was saying, look guys, I am going to face adversity. No doubt about it. Yeah, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. They're going to kill me. And yes, it's true. It's not the end of the story. There will be a resurrection. (coughs) I will be raised from the dead. Wait until then. And then tell everybody what you've seen and heard. Now, I guess what I'm saying to you is this. The story does not end with the storm. The story doesn't end with the defeat. It always ends with a victory. Now, I say this quite often. I've read the Bible all the way in. Don't you hate it when people tell you how the book ends before you get a chance to read it? Well, I've read it all the way through, and guess what? I hate to tell you this if you haven't got that far. We win. We win in the end. We win in the end. You know, you may have to face some trials, may have to face some tribulations, but on the other side of every adversity is a resurrection with your name on it. 
In preparing for adversity, you must ready yourself to wait it out until the victory comes. Wait on God. Wait for the resurrection. Now, I'm not trying to be a doomsday prophet when I say that adversity is right around the corner in some way for each of us. I'm just telling you, it's a fact of life. We all know it. The rain falls on both what? The just and the unjust. But if we're prepared, it's a battle we're sure, sure to win. So how do we do it? Well, let me say it one more time. Here it is. Get along with God. Get along with God until you get a glimpse of His glory. Until you're confident in His presence, His power, and His purpose in your life. Get along with God. And then listen to Him. Until you get His perspective on what is happening. Until you hear His encouraging words. Get up! Don't be afraid. Get along with God and listen to Him. And wait until the storm has passed. There will be a new day. There's always a resurrection. See, in this transfiguration, friends, we get a glimpse of Jesus Christ. In all of His power, in all of His glory. And guess what? This is the exact same power that is available to you, no matter what kind of adversity you are facing or ever will face. God bless you in your journey through life. And as you get along with God and stay with Him. Amen.